Guys, thank you so much. I've never heard that song. Good morning. I'm just going to move that out of the way. Uh, It's great to be here with you this morning. And I would ask you, if you would, pick up a Bible and let's turn together to the book of Habakkuk. And we will be in chapter two, just like Charlotte read just a few minutes ago. So thank you for being faithful to read for us and pronounce everything correctly. It's wonderful. If you're using the blue Bibles and the chairs in front of you, it is on page 934. Page 934. While you're turning there, I'm gonna ask you if we can go to the Lord in prayer together. Father, we, we do this every week. We come together and we sing and we pray. We give We listen to your word preached and we recognize in ourselves a tendency that it just becomes a habit where we want nothing, we expect nothing. We think about what we will do this afternoon. We think about what we will eat for lunch. We think about who's playing football today. Father, my prayer is that you would meet with us, that, Father, you would fine-tune our hearts and our ears and our eyes this morning upon you, upon who you are, upon what you've done, what you are doing, what you've promised to do, and, Father, you would wake us up. You would restore to us joy and salvation, that, Father, if there are any here who do not know you, who have never trusted, are not trusting in Christ alone to save them, that, Father, you would do the incredible miracle today of saving them, of showing them Jesus for who he is. Father, we ask that you would do that. Honor your son by saving sinners as you have done already in this room. Father, it says here in this text that the whole earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord. We ask that that would happen here this morning. Fill this room, fill our minds, fill this people of yours with the knowledge of your glory. And may we leave here in worship and in wonder and in the strength your gospel gives. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so by way of recap, we are in this book of Habakkuk, and it's an interesting book, if you will. Um, Habakkuk The prophet has come to God in complaint about what he sees happening in his people, about what he sees happening in Judah, that there seems to be no justice. He says, I cry to you, God, and you don't respond. I scream violence and you aren't saving. I look around and there is sin everywhere. Don't you care? That's the question that Habakkuk is is crying out to God, destruction and violence. It's all over the news. Strife and contention is rising. The law seems paralyzed, he says. It's not working. Justice isn't evident at all. The wicked are surrounding the righteous. Where are you? Listen to me. Well, God listens and God answers. And he says, don't worry. I've heard and I've seen and I am going to act. Wait for it. And then he gives his plan. He says, I'm raising up the Chaldeans to come and they will bring justice. And God spends chapter one describing what the Chaldeans are like and this justice that he is rising up, raising up. Hear what God says about these Chaldeans. He says, they are bitter, they're hasty. They seize what is not their own. They're dreaded 
and fearsome. Even their horses are like leopards. When they come after you, there's no sense in running. They fly like an eagle to devour. They come for violence. They love violence. They capture humans like sand, and they laugh at kings and at foreign armies. Their God is their might. It's their strength. They trust in their own strength, and as of yet, it has never failed them. This is the answer that God gives to Habakkuk concerning violence and injustice among his own people. I don't know what you think of that. We've been working on this for a couple of weeks now. I don't know your response to that. I hear that, and I, for some reason, I immediately think of this verse. If you're, how many of you fathers, if your son asks you for a fish, would give them a snake instead? Does it not seem like Habakkuk is asking for something good? Asking for something true and asking for something right. He wants justice. He wants the law of God to show that it is true. He wants God's character to be seen and savored and loved in Judah. By all accounts, everything he's asking for is a fish. And yet, let's be honest, it seems that God is giving him a snake. It seems like a terrible answer. And it seems like a terrible plan And Jonathan's sermon ended last week with these words in chapter two, verse two. And the Lord answered me, write the vision, make it plain on tablets so he may run who reads it. For still the vision awaits its appointed time. It hastens to the end. It will not lie. If it seems slow, wait for it. It will surely come. It will not delay. This is coming The Chaldeans are coming. God has not said to Judah, look, if you repent, this won't happen. This isn't a warning for them to change that this might not happen, that God may relent. No, he says to Habakkuk, hammer these words into stone. Write them on the tablet. It is coming and it will not delay. Keep your eyes open. Now, we do this thing all the time where we read a text of the Bible and we kind of take all emotion out of it and we don't feel it. We don't, we don't put ourselves into it and we miss so much because of that. Consider what it would have been like to be there. This is a nation of people, people like you and me. They have homes, they have work, they have children that run around their homes and laugh and play. They look around like you and me, and they would see what they have built. They would see the blessings that they have, but they would also see the brokenness and the destruction of the world. And more often than they would like, they see how their own decisions and their own life has added to the brokenness of the world. And the message is coming to them that a brutal and a deadly army is coming their way. It's this deadly enemy is coming into their camp and there's no use in fleeing. There's no use in running. You can't outrun them. There's no use in fighting because you can't win. If you were in this situation, what would you do? What would you say if God said this to you? I think the only thing we could do is is cry out to him, what do we do? What do we think? How can we live? 
What must we do, God, to survive this? And it's right here in this text for today that God begins to give an answer to those questions. Look with me at verse four, please. God continues his description of the Chaldeans in this section, and this is what he says. He, he speaks of them as if they're a person rather than a nation. So, so recognize this in the his. Behold, his soul is puffed up. It is not upright within him. Well, how is the soul of Babylon puffed up or the soul of the Chaldeans puffed up? We've already seen it. It's prideful that their trust is in their own strength, in their own might, their own ability to work and to achieve. It's in their accomplishments. It's in what they've gained by their own power and their ability. That's their trust. That is their strength. That is their hope and that is their boast. Look, what God is saying here isn't two different things that he's puffed up and he's unrighteous. This is, this is one thing. They are unrighteous because they are puffed up. They are unrighteous because they are prideful, because their trust is in their own strength. This is what unrighteousness looks like. But, and don't miss this, because it comes and goes so fast that you can miss this. But the righteous shall live by faith. The righteous shall live by faith. Habakkuk, an an evil, bitter, hasty, dreaded, fearsome, swift, devouring, violent army is coming for you, but the righteous shall live by faith. Look, that's that's the question that they would have had. How How do we live? How do we survive? And God tells them the righteous shall live by faith. This is the opposite of all that the Babylonians are. They are unrighteous because they are puffed up. They trust in themselves and in their own strength and their abilities and their accomplishments. But the righteous are those who live by faith. This is the answer to Judah. How shall we survive? How shall we withstand? How shall we live? By faith. God's saying the Chaldeans live now but will die by their own strength. You, however, shall live by faith. Not in self-pride or self-exaltation or self-glory or self-reliance. You will live by faith in God, not by faith in self. Jonathan was kind to give me this text as this verse right here is probably, we would say, the linchpin of the entire book. The righteous shall live by faith. Guys, this is, this is a hard book. I haven't heard Joel Osteen do Habakkuk yet. <laughs> and as we've said, it seems that God is answering Habakkuk's request for a fish with a gift of a snake. It seems like that. But I think we may need to back up a bit. The, the more I've read this book and the more I've, I've sat under the sermons of this book, I've, I've been reminded of this quote that I heard by Johnny Erickson Tata. Who knows who she is? Johnny Erickson Tata is a, a Christian writer, Christian author, um, which I think is the two exact same things that I just said back to back to make it sound like I had a better description of her. She's an author and a writer. Pretty impressive, right? But she said a few years ago, she was describing her, her problems with quadriplegia, that she is paralyzed from the neck down from a diving accident at age 17. 
And she said that while she was going through a particular struggle, someone said this to her. And when, she, when I read it, it kind of just stuck with me after that. She says, this man looks at her and she says, you know, God sometimes permits what he hates in order to accomplish what he loves. God permits what he hates in order to accomplish what he loves. Understand something. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ right now, and by that, I mean if you are trusting in him as your only hope to be made right with God the Father, to have your sins forgiven, to live to his glory, and then be made right with him for all eternity, then he is working all things out for your ultimate good. This is what we need to learn. This is what we need to see. Our ultimate good is not our ease and it's not our comfort. It's not even our safety. It's not in a solid bank account or in a steady job. It's not in the perfect kids, the perfect car, the perfect house. It's not in the right pedigree or education. It's not in your accomplishments, not in your abilities. It's not in your reputation. Our greatest good, our ultimate good, and the good toward which God is always faithfully working is that we would know him, that we would love him, and that we would trust him. Listen, if you look around your life and there's something that is absolutely tearing you to pieces right now, if you're not in it right now, um, then the bearer of good news, you probably will be one day. Or you can look back at your life and see a time where there was something that you just hated happening, a trial or a trouble or a pain that just wouldn't go away. It wouldn't seem to leave you. You couldn't seem to come out of the darkness of the clouds. It's, it's that... Uh, it's just something that's totally bringing you to the end of everything you are. Every bit of trust in your own self or your own strength to bring you through. If you're in that, you've been through that or will be through that, it just might be that God is sovereignly ordaining something you hate so that he will ultimately bring you to love what you should. It just might be that he is bringing you through this so that your eyes and your affections and your love will be taken off of this thing or this earth or this possession or this ability, this accomplishment. That he's bringing something you hate so that you will stop loving that more than you love him. Look, this trial that God is telling Judah about, it stinks. It's not gonna be fun. It's going to hurt I don't envy them in any way. And yet don't miss the fact that God is using it and he's using this pain to bring about their ultimate good. He doesn't waste pain and he doesn't waste trial. Not a bit of it, not an ounce of it is wasted or purposeless. He's bringing about their ultimate good and through trials, he's bringing about our ultimate good that we will live by faith in him. Throughout this chapter, God continues this description of the Chaldeans. They are never at rest. They are greedy. They never have enough. They actually collect nations and peoples as their own. And yet 
it's been promised that their judgment is coming. And then God gives these five woes, these five warnings of judgment upon those who practice such things, specifically in this text, the Chaldeans. So if you would, let's look to these together. Um, if you're one of those who likes to write in your Bible, then, then here are the woes. If you look with me, uh, woe to him who heaps up what is not his own, verse six. So if you want to, circle that woe. Verse nine, woe to him who gets evil gain for his house. Verse 12, woe to him who builds a town with blood and founds their city on iniquity. Verse 15, woe to him who makes his neighbors drink. You pour out your wrath and make them drunk to gaze at their nakedness. Parents, you may need to answer that to your kids later on. You're welcome. Verse 19, woe to him who says to a wooden thing, awake and to a silent stone arise. In other words, woe to those who craft idols and then worship them. God is going to judge the Chaldeans for their wickedness and he lays out for Habakkuk exactly why they will be judged. He's going to judge them for they collect and use humans as if they were trading cards. They go out and they gather nations and their greed for conquest is never satisfied. Judgment is coming. Those nations that they've collected will actually rise up against them and cry out. Woe to them for they've used evil ways for their own gain. They've built their homes and their wealth by actually defrauding and killing others. He says, even the stones and the woodwork with which they've built their homes will cry out against them. Woe to them, for they have founded their cities and their nations on violence and injustice. But one day the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the water covers the seas. Woe to them, for they've poured out their wrath to the harm and shame and destruction of their neighbors. It's not even just that their wicked ways are towards outsiders. Their wicked ways are to their own neighbor and the wrath of God falls down on them. And God says, wait for it. The cup in the Lord's right hand is for you, Babylon. It's coming. You have poured out your wrath on your neighbor, and so I will pour out my wrath on you. Utter shame will come. The violence done will overwhelm you and destroy you. And then notice what, he, what follows that in verse 18. What prophet is an idol? When its maker has shaped it. In other words, what will your God do to protect you? You made it. You formed it. Now recognize the correlation between these two things. This is interesting. In verse 11, if you look with me there, the stones from the wall and the woodwork with which you built your house will cry out in judgment against you. And then here God says, you make a God, the one in whom you trust to deliver from wood and stone. You built your house with the same things you built your God with. And here God says, you make a God, the one in whom you deliver, and then you say to it, arise. Your house and your God are made of the same thing, and you're trusting in it to deliver? Good luck. Can it teach you? Yeah, it, it may be overlaid with gold and with silver, but there's no breath in it. 
and thus there is no value to it. But, verse 20, but the Lord, the one bringing this judgment, the one giving these warnings, he is in his holy temple. Let all the earth keep silence before him. In other words, the Chaldeans should hear these, war these warnings, these woes, and they should shut their mouths. Do you remember how it said about them, they laugh at foreign kings and foreign armies? Apparently, they're not laughing anymore. Their mouths have been silenced. What can they say? To whom can they run? Will their many armies of slaves help them fight? No, they will rise up. Will their homes built up high save them? No, even the stone and the woodwork with which their homes are made are going to cry out against them. Will their towns be fortified with high walls and be able to withstand the attack? No, for the knowledge of the glory of the Lord will flood over them like the water covers the seas. Will their God save them? No, their gods are wood and stone, but the Lord sits on his throne. He does whatever pleases him. Listen, Habakkuk couldn't believe that God will use the Chaldeans to judge and sanctify and purify his own people. They were evil. But God is saying to him, don't worry. Judgment is coming to them. For them, there will be nowhere to run and hide. Judgment is coming on the enemies of God. And this is why God says throughout his word, vengeance is mine, declares the Lord that he is no more a God of love than he is a God of justice. And on the day that he ceases to be a God of justice, he ceases to be God. It will never happen. What, what do we see here? Well, we see several things. God is a God of justice and sin must be punished. But don't forget how this book began. If you're just now joining us, here's what happened. Habakkuk didn't come to God to complain about the evils of Babylon. It was off his radar. That wasn't where his concern was. He came to complain not about the rampant sin of the Chaldeans, but about the rampant sin happening in Judah among his own people. See, just, just like the Chaldeans, Judah was guilty of violence. We see this throughout the Old Testament. They were guilty of strife and contention, of pride and bitterness. They too heaped up what was not their own. They also took advantage of others. They also used evil to build their own treasury. They were quick to hate their neighbors and even to make themselves idols. They were quick to trust in their own abilities their own accomplishments, their own ingenuity, and they were oh so slow to trust in the Lord. It's easy to look at outsiders, however, and find their failings. We're quite good at it, aren't we? So let's bring it just a little bit closer to home. You and me, we are just like them. We are too often guilty of strife and contention, of pride and bitterness, of using others for our own advancement and even seeking to build our own name or our own portfolio, even if it brings harm to others. We put trust in our homes and our bank accounts and our education. 
We're quick to speak out against and shame our neighbors for the things that we ourselves do. Friends, our God is a God of justice and his hatred for these sins has not changed since the days of Habakkuk. The Chaldeans were guilty. Judah was guilty. You and I are guilty. And if we know our Bibles, we should know that the wages of sin is death. The justice of God demands that. But thanks be to God that the righteous shall live by faith. That doesn't mean that righteousness is the means to faith and it's up to us to muster up righteousness. It means that faith is the path for sinners to be made righteous. Faith in God is our only means, it's our only hope to be made righteous and God has abundantly provided our means of righteousness. If we look through the Old Testament, we see that there is on every page a pointing to the fact that God is going to fix this, that God is going to save sinners, that he is going to send his son. And we finally come to the New Testament and we see Jesus the Christ appear He lives the life you and I were meant to live. He obeys the law perfectly, loving God and loving his neighbors as he and we were meant to. And then Jesus dies on the cross, taking our sins upon his shoulder, taking its punishment, taking the wrath of God against our sin on his shoulders. He died. And three days later, God raised him from the dead and the good news comes to people like you and people like me that if we will trust in Christ, if we will look to him in faith, then he will take our sin and its punishment and he will gift us his righteous law keeping. Do you see what Habakkuk is pointing us to? The righteous shall live by faith. Martin Luther called it the great exchange. How can it be that we, by faith, can have our sin put on another and his righteousness put on us. It's a great exchange for one of us. But Jesus took our sin and gifts his righteousness to anyone who will trust in him alone to save. So friends, if you're here this morning and you, you haven't trusted in Christ, you're not, you're still holding and clinging to your accomplishments, your abilities, your stuff, I'm praying, and I know many in here are praying that today is the day of salvation for you, that you will look to Jesus and see that he is the Christ sent by God to save, and there is no other means. The righteous will live by faith. Listen, you you and I are just as deserving as the Chaldeans for this cup of wrath that God talks about. And what we're not here this morning is kind of patting ourselves on the back and presenting our own goodness, our own abilities, our own stuff. That's what the Chaldeans did. We are here this morning to recognize the goodness of a God who says to sinners, the righteous will live by faith. Friends, we deserve God's wrath. We've earned it. But through the grace of God, through his son, though we were once enemies, Though we were once dead in our sins, we've become sons and daughters of the king. 
that those who deserve his wrath and anger forever instead have the promises given that every single thing, every single trial, and every single trouble and pain he's using for our ultimate good. That while we are worse than we think, the good news of the gospel is better than we could ever possibly imagine. So we can come together and we should worship in whatever circumstance we find ourselves in because we know we have a good father who knows exactly what we need. I wanna read to you a section of a book called A Gospel Primer. And when I first read this, I was like, this guy must've been a Puritan in the 1600s. Instead, he lives in California. I don't know. This is what it says. I want you to hear this. This is, this is kind of just, just listen. Viewing life's blessings as water in a drinking cup. You see where he's going already? The half full, half. I know that I could discontentedly focus on the half of the cup that seems empty, or I could gratefully focus on the half that is full. Now, certainly the latter approach is the better of the two, yet the gospel cultivates within me a richer gratitude than this. The gospel reminds me first that what I actually deserve from God is a full cup churning with the torments of his wrath. This is the cup that, we would, that would be mine to drink if I were given what I deserve each day. With this understanding in mind, I see that to be handed a completely empty cup from God would be a cause enough for infinite gratitude. If there were merely the tiniest drop of blessing contained in that otherwise empty cup, I should be blown away by the unbelievable kindness of God toward me. The fact in, uh, that God, in fact, has given me a cup that is full of every spiritual blessing in Christ, and this, without the slightest mixture of wrath, leaves me truly dumbfounded with inexpressible joy. As for my specific earthly circumstances of plenty and want, I can see them always as infinite improvements on the hell I deserve. Don't miss this. We worship God this morning because he is the Lord on the throne, because he is gracious and compassionate. He is slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love for you yesterday, today, and forever. This is the God worth knowing, and this is the God worth trusting. This is the God worth worshiping. Let's pray. Father, we are blown away when we see your judgment in Scripture, your wrath in Scripture, and remember that this is what our sin deserves. So, Father, how can it be that you would send your Son to take our punishment, to take your wrath, and to gift us his righteousness through faith? Father, I pray that the righteous would be living by faith in here. Trust in you in your provision and trust in you through the pain that you are God and you are good. In Jesus' name, amen.